We've been talking about next steps, and this will be the last message in this series. Next week, uh, we're going to spend February talking about uh, some things relating to the church and some things relating to our church for the month of February, and then uh, the beginning in March, we'll get back into the book of Mark. I'm looking forward to that. I like Bible going verse by verse, but we're just doing some things that I think as a church family we've needed to do, and this has been kind of an introduction into the new year of some things that hopefully have been encouraging and motivating, and, and you notice that the messages haven't been, here's a list of 12 things that you need to start doing. That's not been the point. That would be easy to do, just, you know, just kind of load you up with books and resources and reading plans and schedules to pray and all that, and you get all that, and you just think, oh my goodness, now I'm just overwhelmed by all this. Well, that's not been the goal. All those things have a purpose, but the purpose behind it is that we focus on knowing Jesus and recognize the ways that God has given us, given to us to grow in that relationship. So growing, that's been what we've tried to do these last several weeks. And so this morning, I'm just going to wrap it up and kind of bring it, not finish it, because there'll be some things that we talk about later, but to just kind of finish it off on some things with really, how do we stay on track? How do we stay on track? That's uh, the goal of the believer is to grow in Christ, but at the same time, I want to stay on track. Now, I am a card-carrying member of the male species, and we are renowned of knowing we didn't need GPS because we have this built-in GPS, right, ladies, right? And that's why we never, ever have to uh, ask for directions or any of that because we just, you know, we're just wired that way. Well, you know, that's a bunch of baloney. That's not true. Uh, I have been privileged to get lost in some of the finest cities in America. Some of the most wonderful cities I have managed to get turned around and lost in. Now, I'm thankful that we have GPS. We have it. Most of us have some form of Google Maps on our phone. Not too long back, I had a flat tire. You know, you know when you get from 275 and you're coming around Tampa and you get on I-4 the, and you're right past or right around that Ebor uh, exit, and I got a flat tire on a Monday at 6 p.m. The joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thankful, you know, pulled off, you know, and got off there. And it wasn't too long as I call AAA. If you don't have AAA, you're nuts. You need somebody you can call, brother, sister. I mean, AAA, you call them one time, right? We, we, we experienced, we had another opportunity to call AAA uh, in their vehicle. They had a, a alternator went out. Again, I don't know what it is, about 5 o'clock, you know, uh, coming from Apollo Beach, that area, and the, and 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 AAA, and, and you give them your information, and it's amazing how, again, now with phones and all, they can find you, even if you're not sure if you're describing it right, and that's a great blessing. Uh, but GPS, we, we get lost. We can just click that thing, and we find out where we're at. Now, you know, as I do, sometimes they're not always the most, you know, uh, uh, let's say, uh, I don't want to say accurate, but sometimes they will have you go through areas to get to this point. You think, all I had to do was go up here and right. But the GPS, you know, had you go through this neighborhood, climb over a fence, you know, go underwater, you know, whatever it is. And uh, so you got to be careful of that. But the whole idea is these little devices that we have, some of them have cars now. You have cars where it's all built in. That's wonderful. But it's all intended to keep you on track to get you where you intend to go. Well, God has given us a GPS one, the main is he's given us his presence to guide us, right? But he's also given us tools to help us in staying on track. Now, the Bible's full of examples of people who, who got off track. Adam and Eve, we'll just start with them, right? Yeah, you, we don't even need to comment on that. We know how that worked out. Uh, Abraham, remember Abraham? God promised Abraham a son, got impatient. He thought he would just kind of take matters in his own hands and and uh, had a, a child with his wife's maidservant. How many of you know that that never works out? To have a child, well, okay, we won't get all that. That never is going to work out. We have Ishmael. Uh, that didn't work. He got off track there. Moses, um, he got off track. Uh, and, uh, y- y- you know, and, and those Israelites, they wandered around in the wilderness, and they were constantly off track. 
And so there's lots of things in the Bible that encourage us. The Old Testament, think of all the stories in the Old Testament of people that intended to go one way, but whatever it was, got them going a different way. The New Testament, uh, there were incidences of people that intended to do one thing and situations moved them in a different direction. If you've ever read the book of Judges, the book of Judges uh, in the Old Testament, obviously, but it is just a cycle, and here's the way the cycle works. If you read Judges, you just see this repeated over and over. You see God blessing his people. Uh, you see his people uh, compromise, leads into rebellion, and then they lead into some form of idolatry where they've, where they've given themselves over to the very things God says uh, for them to stay away from. God judges them oftentimes by using surrounding nations to do, go to war with them and capture them. So they come into bondage. They plead for God for mercy. God delivers them, and guess what? Back the cycle starts all over again. You ever feel like you're, well, don't raise hands, but sometimes in Christian life you feel that is that way. You're all excited about the Lord, and then you get lazy spiritually and start making little compromises, and next thing you know, you're, you're, you're off in la-la land, and, and uh, that's not a movie, that's just my expression, la-la land, and, uh, and, and next thing you know, you're, you're, you're not where you want to be. Well, good news is the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and he is just a voice, he's a call away from Lord help me. Have you ever prayed prayers like that where you just, you didn't have time to open the Psalms and start just praying a Psalm or you didn't have time to formalize your prayer? All you could say is help me Lord, help me Jesus. Ever prayed? I've prayed those prayers, especially when you get a flat tire on I-4 at uh, 6 o'clock on a Monday night. You're just saying Lord Jesus protect me, help me and he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. But if this is true uh, <coughs> of people in the Bible who've gotten off track and needed to listen to God, how much more is that true with us where we need to pay attention and we need to say, God, help me stay in the path of where you want me to be. And so when we've talked about these next steps and we've talked about prayer and Bible study, some of these, we call them disciplines. I, I like the word habits, developing spiritual habits. These spiritual habits are intended to, that God has designed these spiritual habits to help us stay on the right road to where he designed for us to be. So this morning, we're going to look at this final message in this series. And, you know, as we, we've emphasized that we need to focus on uh, training and not trying. We're, we've, we've, we've spent a lot of time saying, I'm just trying harder. Well, quit trying harder and start training. The Bible says, train yourselves for godliness. And so that's what this uh, word have been these last several weeks to encourage us. Uh, if you've uh, ever seen uh, movies or you've maybe been in a locker room where the coach comes in and he gives a real motivational talk, he gives a pet talk of, you know, how, um, how hard we've worked and nobody comes into our house and pushes us around and we're to get out there and take them. Well, that's wonderful if the team has been trained to play the game to win, but that pep talk in and of itself if they're not prepared, they're like, okay, great, but that pep talk ain't going to do me any good. This, I don't want to call this as a pep talk. That's not what I'm saying. But in a way, I'm kind of trying to motivate you and me, but that won't do us any good if we are not trained to engage in the things in the, war, in the uh, battle that God has put before us. And so uh, we, uh, we get a lot of pep talks, and we feel good until we walk out those doors, and bam, Something happens, and all of a sudden that pep talk isn't going to sustain us. Well, we want to encourage one another. We want to motivate one another. But at the same time, if we are not engaging the rest of the weeks of this year and the year forward, or the years forward, and training, not trying, but training unto godliness, then all these uh, little encouraging talks are going to do us any good. You know, Paul was uh, such a genius. If you look at his letters, I was just thinking about this. When you look at Ephesians, Ephesians is a wonderful book to study. Colossians, another example of this. Romans, a great example. But Ephesians is, is what came on to my mind, and there's a pattern that Paul does when he writes his letters, is he spends the front end. You can just compare this sometime with Ephesians, Colossians, some of the 
other letters of Paul, he, especially those letters or those books that are more teaching, we call them didactic, that's the more technical, but they're teaching books. And so he spends the front end of those books in teaching. For example, in Ephesians, he's talking about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, and he, and he spends a lot of time about chosen before the foundation of the world. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and he just builds all that. But then when you look to the latter part of the book, he spends time on how do we, how do we work this out? What do we do with these truths? So what's he doing? He's, he's training, but he's also giving them tools to equip them to go out and put these things into practice. If he just said, hey, uh, remember who you are in Jesus, and, and, and there's, a, there's a fight out there. Remember how Ephesians ends? It ends with an emphasis on spiritual warfare. We don't war against uh, flesh and blood. He, he ends chapter 6 of Ephesians about finally be strong in the Lord and in his strength of his might. Put on the whole what? Armor of God so that, listen to these words, so that you will be able to stand against the schemes that's what the ESV uses, the schemes. King James might say the wiles, but the schemes, the strategies of the devil. You realize the enemy has schemes and strategies of how to trip you up. Let's put it in the context of our, of our title, of how to get you off track. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, let us lay aside the sin that so easily besets us, or here's a better way to say it, trips us up. Let us lay aside the sin, that, that area that so easily trips us up. There's areas in which the, that we are prone to do. It might be anger, it might be lust, it might just be sloth, laziness. It, it, you know, it's a whole host of things that we are more prone to be, to, to or our default to fall into that move us off the highway, the interstate of godliness and off onto these side roads. You know, speaking of side roads, you know what? Can I just hit pause? You know what I really hate is you're starving, right? And you go past exit and you say, the next exit, all right, I, I don't care if it's McDonald's, Burger King, you know, whatever, I'm stopping. And then it finally it's just, you know, McDonald's, and it says arrow and down this way. And maybe it doesn't tell you how far it is down there. And you turn right, you, you know, you're trying to keep time. And that McDonald's is like 18 miles into town. And you're so far in, you're, you know, and... Well, you know what? The best thing to do is what? What does that G says? Turn around. Do a U-turn. Get out of there and get back to where you need, you know, you need to uh, go, where you know you need to go. Oftentimes when people feel, say, you know, Pastor, I, I just feel like I'm off. I'm, I'm just not where I need to be. And a lot of times I'll say, what was the last thing that God told you? Where did you get off on, the, on God's purpose? What was the last thing? that God had purpose in your life, that you were told that you knew you were walking in obedience, where was that? Find that place and get back to where you need to go. And so this is an encouragement for us to, to do that. And so we're not going to be looking necessarily at a specific text, but I want to kind of break it down, that scripture I just uh, read out of Ephesians 6 about the schemes of the enemy the enemy has different ways to discourage us. No, uh, it, it doesn't happen any sooner than when you and I begin to make a decision that we are going to begin to engage in a relationship with the Lord through the means that he's given us, through uh, knowing his word and prayer and set aside, setting aside time, hopefully on a daily basis. If that is a little too much, at least do three times a week. Uh, do something. Do something. Uh, but begin the process of, of engaging God. And no sooner do we begin to make that decision, and then what happens? All of a sudden, something begins to work against us, and we get discouraged. We, we, we start out, we got the first day, the second day, third day, fourth day, we kind of forgot, we slept in, we got, we got an early text, had to go in the office early, whatever it was. Next thing you know, oh my goodness, I've spent four days. I even read my Bible. I mean pray. Now, does that mean, you know, God, no, he doesn't love me. He knows what a lousy person I am. No, no, no. That, that's, we, don't, we don't believe that. Okay, you're not, you're not earning your way. This is God's design for us to increase in joy and relationship. We're, we're the ones that are missing out. So, so don't fall into this, this, this uh, woe is me guilt trip, but let it be a motivation. Saying, oh, I need, a, I need to get my, my schedule, but I need to get back on track. But then after a while, we, we kind of 
we kind of set these lofty goals. Okay, I, I've missed the last three, four days. I haven't done all. And so all of a sudden now, I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. tomorrow. And I'm going to read the book of Leviticus in the Hebrew. And that's going to really jack me up and make, make no, no, no. You know, that's not going to happen. So how do we, how do we kind of come, push against this discouragement as we pursue God, because really that's what it's all about. It isn't reading this book. It isn't listening to this series. It isn't doing all this stuff. The ultimate goal is I want to know him. And if these things aren't helping me do that, I need to get rid of them and find the means or something that's going to help me grow in godliness and pursue him. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you four what I call myths. These are just things that uh, don't have any homiletical value, but they're just four statements that I found that we need to be uh, reminded that uh, and not fall into some of these uh, traps of discouragement that hopefully in the little bit of time we have this morning will encourage us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you live inside of us, of those of us who are followers and have received you into our life. We thank you for the gifts uh, and the abilities that you've given to us. Lord, we come freely enjoying your wonderful goodness and grace this morning. Lord, we don't have to earn or perform anything. You have given us every spiritual blessing, as Ephesians 1 says. Everything that we need, Lord, you have equipped us and given to us. And so, Lord, we want to grow in how we we activate and we partake in the tools and the ways that you've given us that are going to, to extend this relationship that's going to grow in an intimacy of knowing you, that the same battles and the same junk that we've been tripped up in days past, Lord, we need to learn better ways that we can tap in to your strength. And, Lord, it begins by cultivating that relationship with you. So help us this morning learn and grow in that godliness, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, all right, myth number one. These are four myths, all right? Myth number one is I've lost that loving feeling. Now, I'm not going to sing that to you. You say, well, what is that? Where do you get that? You remember the church in, in fact, we're talking about Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, the first of the seven churches that we studied uh, last year on Wednesday nights. The first church was the church at Ephesus. And what was the indictment the Lord laid at their doorstep? They were a doctrinally sound church. They had, I mean, they were a teaching church. They, I mean, they didn't allow uh, error and false doctrine to come into their midst. It was the kind of church you'd recommend. You want people to go to that church. You're going to learn the Bible. You're going to grow in those things. And in spite of all those things, the Lord says in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he says, yet there's one thing I hold against you. You have lost your what? You've lost your first love. He says in the next verse, Revelation 2, 5, consider how far you have fallen. Now, this is a doctrinally sound church. They, they were the model church. They're, I mean, they're, they're tight, good leaders, good uh, fellowship, all those things. But yet, somehow, in the pursuit of the things, they forgot the one that they're pursuing. You ever find that? That you, you just, you're doing all this activity. And yet in the midst of the activity, you step back and think, wait a minute, I'm not sure any of these things that I'm busy doing have increased my love for him. Does that mean I stop going to church or I stop going to maybe a small group or a men's group or ladies group? Does that mean, no. Somehow the problem is, is I'm falsely depending upon just my attendance or reading this book or doing these things. And then when I step away, I'm not activating any of these truths in my life. I'm not in, I'm not, listen, you should, as you grow in your walk with him, you should be able to say month by month, year by year, that I love him more than I did in days gone by. Sometimes we fall into that myth. And here's, here's how it plays into our study. We think that, um, you know, I just, I just, the reason I'm not, you know, praying and, and reading the word, and I, I'm, no, I'm just emphasizing those two. There's other 
habits. But since we've only talked primarily about those two, I'm just talking about those two. You know, I, I just don't feel it. You ever say that? Sometimes I'll say, you know, my wife says, well, okay, where do you want to go? You want to go eat? You want to go, you want to go to Sonny's? You want to Cracker Barrel? You want to go Taco Bus? Now, see, I'm hungry. So all these are just swirling around in my psyche now and say, you know, let's go to Cracker Barrel. And I'll say, you know what? Just not feeling it today. Not feeling Cracker Barrel. Don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm not feeling Cracker Barrel today. Uh, well, listen. The walk of the believer is not based on how you feel. Some of you did not feel like getting out of bed this morning. But you did. And there are others who gave in to that temptation this morning, perhaps. But they didn't feel it. Or, you know what, I'm just not feeling this. I'm just not feeling like reading the Word today. I'm just not feeling having this relationship. How does that feeling-based component, how does that work in your, let's say to the married folks here, how does that work in your marriage? You just say, you know what, this past week I hadn't, just, I hadn't been feeling talking to my spouse. I just don't feel like it. How does that work out for you? Huh? Is that, does that progress the relationship? No, 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 no. You know it doesn't. And so we have to come to the place where my development of these spiritual habits is not based upon what I feel like doing. It's based upon making a choice. Do you, how many of you, well, we know the answer. You don't go to work because you feel like it. You go to work and you're on time because you need that paycheck. You like a roof over your head. You like your Cheetos. You like your food, right? Or whatever your vice is, uh, whatever the issue is there. You, 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 if it was based, some of you have gone, you go to school, guys. Some of you are in school and, and, and uh, are, are young people in school. And some of you have gotten degrees and you did homework, you turned in assignments. And most of the time it went because you felt like it. You did it because there was a deadline and there was a penalty that if I didn't do this, this money I've laid out for this education or whatever is going to be wasted. You did it because you chose to do it. Now, if we do that with the natural stuff, why do we think it's necessarily indifferent in the spiritual things? No, I need to discipline myself and choose to do these things not based upon feelings. I mentioned about marriage and how uh, the uh, interesting that uh, in the uh, Revelation 2, the word for losing your first love that's used there is that word that we've heard, uh, we, we know is called agape. That's a Greek word. Not, I'm not having a, a, a dialect issue. That's agape. That's a Greek word. And there are several words in the Greek. There's eros, there's phyla, phyla. There's, there's several other words in the Greek that speak about love. But agape is that sacrificial love. It's the love that gives without expecting anything in return. Eros is the word we uh, get for erotica. That's a sexual type of love. There's philos. You ever heard the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love? That's kind of the friendship love. Agape love is a giving love. That, That is the love that Jesus chose, not based on his feelings. You remember when he was in the garden praying? I don't think it would be heretical to say, Lord, our Father, I don't feel like being nailed to a cross. Is that heretical? Are we going to get stoned? I think that's basically, I don't feel this. But not my will, but I'm going to choose your will to be done. God wants us to do the same thing, to choose, to choose him. And not just base everything we do on feeling. Second myth we have to be on guard against is the spiritual comparison idea, the spiritual comparison myth. Now, as we engage in reading the Word and prayer, part of what God has designed is the one another. Everybody's blessed. God has designed the church, and we're going to talk about this next month, but 
I heard somebody say this, and, and I've thought about it, for so, and I believe it's true, is that really you cannot, I'm not, really, God has not designed for you to walk in relationship with him apart from other believers. There's no such thing as isolation Christianity. Now, obviously, if you're a, a prisoner and, you know, somewhere, I, I'm not talking about that, but even then, uh, there's ways that God brings encouragement. My point is, is that what God has designed is us being together, encouraging us one to another. But what can we can easily fall into is this trap of comparison, uh, where we begin to look at somebody else around us and think how I am so falling short of godliness because I'm not as spiritual as this person. I'm not as I'm not as committed as this person. I'm not now that should could be a good motivation to see examples. The Bible gives examples when it talks about adding elders and deacons. It gives a list of criteria there of where they should where they should exemplify the Christian walk in, in a higher order than just the average church member, okay? Because that's why they're called to be leaders. But where we fall into this trap is we begin to falsely compare ourselves to someone else instead of saying, wait, what is God purpose and called my life to do? Uh, if you've ever read anything about Martin Luther, the reformer uh, in the 16th century, uh, he got up on an average of 3 o'clock every morning to pray, read the Word. And when I read that, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Martin. Made my life harder. I'm not going to do that, okay? I, and you aren't either, unless you have to be at work at 4.30, and that's when you get whatever. But I begin to look at that and think, oh, my goodness, I can never do that. So, therefore, God, he just, I probably embarrass him. No. If that's what Martin Luther did and God been purpose in his life, wonderful. Uh, look at Billy Graham. You look at Greg Laurie or some of the believers where, where God has equipped them with the gift of evangelism in that ministry. And you think, oh, I am such a worthless human being because I am so far away from any of that kind of commitment of sharing the gospel. I can never do that. How I many of you like Robbie Zacharias? You think, oh, he's so smart. I mean, he has forgotten more than I know. And I listen to him and how he can articulate the defense of the gospel to Muslims and atheists and, and quote books and do those kinds of things. And I think, what an ignoramus I am. That's a false comparison. Listen, God has called me to be faithful to what he has called me and gifted me to do. In Hebrews, I quoted Hebrews uh, 12 earlier about let us lay aside the sin that so easily uh, trips us up. And it talks about running the race. And, and Paul, he must have, if Paul was today, he'd probably make sure Sports Center was on his calendar, you know, because he loves sports, boxing, running, you know, all those things. He really used a lot of sports metaphors. And, and so the metaphor of running the race is something that is a part of the Christian, you know, life about running the race. You know, we, we get that. But when you run a race, and keep in mind this comparison, is when you run the race, if I'm running the race and my eye is on the goal, the prize, if I start focusing on the person in front of me, guess what? I'm going to start looking at that person and think, oh, no, I'm a loser. I'm never going to make it. That guy is so far ahead of me, and I'm going to start getting discouraged and condemnation. But if all of a sudden I'm running, I look be, I'm spending more time looking behind me, evaluating my progress, then in a spiritual sense, that can kind of give me a little exalted sense of pride. Hey, I know I'm not perfect. At least I know I'm really more committed to this thing than whatever. As soon as I say their name, it'll be somebody in this room. That wouldn't what I want to do. Quit comparing yourself to somebody. Find out, Lord, you've wired me and designed me in a certain way. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 we know the front end of it in 8 9, where we are saved by grace through faith, right? Ephesians 2, 8 9. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We know that part, right? That word workmanship in the Greek can also be translated masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. And he has not made you to be a carbon copy of Billy Graham or, or, or maybe your spiritual uh, neighbor or somebody in your family or your life that you just think, oh, I can never reach what they've reached. He's not told you to be like them. If he wanted you to be like them, God would be in the cloning business, okay? He doesn't clone. He, we're all unique. Even the science of DNA is unique to every person. So I need to focus on, Lord, what is it that you've called me to do? What is it? How is it that you're working in my life? And let me spend my energy being who you've designed me to be. I remember in high school or junior high, there was older guys, you know, and they played basketball better. I shouldn't say better. They played basketball. I couldn't play. I wasn't that coordinated. But they, they were just the athletes and the girls and the jacket, you know, and all that. And so it, it meant some of us, maybe you're the oddball in the group, they're like, hey, if I could be, do start doing some stuff that person's doing and be like them, right, well, then somehow that'll rub off on me. Newsflash, it never did. I don't care if I bought the same shoes they did or, or had the same notebook or did the same things or whatever. It never, it looked stupid. Why? Because that wasn't me. You ever see somebody, they're trying to imitate or be like somebody, and you're like, hey, just be yourself, relax. It, 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 be natural. God wants us to be relaxed and say, who, who is it that God, you, you, how have you made me? I love the story that Jesus gives us about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Don't turn there, but you may want to make note of it. Remember what he did? Remember the parable? Those are spiritual stories. Those are earthly stories with spiritual uh, purposes. That's what a parable is. And the Bible says he gave this story about this man who was going on a long journey, and he called his servants, and he entrusted his wealth to these servants. And some he gave ten talents. A talent was like a monetary uh, uh, money. He gave ten, you know, let's say ten dollars to this person, and he gave five, and he gave one. And in other words, he measured it out. And when he came back, he expected an investment on what was given to them. Here's the point. His expectation was different based upon what he gave to each one of those people. The person who only had one talent, he condemned because that guy said, look, I was scared and I just buried it into the ground, which was kind of a common way that they protected their money. But that isn't why, that was his money. He gave that money for that person who had one dollar to do something with it and produce. Maybe all he could do was produce $2, but you know what? He did what he was supposed to do with the master's money. The person who had 10, he wasn't going to compare the one with the one talent or the $1 with the guy he gave 10 to. And so I believe in the, in, in, in the Christian, in the body of Christ, there are 10 talent people. doesn't mean they're better or more. You know, they're going to sit at the foot of Jesus and you're going to be in the back making iced tea. It doesn't mean that, all right? It's just saying that there are different gifts that he's given to us in the body of Christ. And some of us, you know, we know things about the spiritual gifts. If we take one more test on spiritual gifts, we're going to scream. How many of you want to take another test on spiritual gifts? Yeah, see how excited you are. But you know what? Sometimes we do. You know why? Because we forget. We've not implemented that. We're like, I don't want that gift. I want this gift. You ever have siblings that got something? You're like, I don't want this piece of junk. I want what so-and-so had. No, take what God has given to you and use it for the glory of God. Quit comparing yourself to somebody else. I love uh, another scripture we won't look at, but just make reference to. In Mark 14, wonderful, wonderful story of this woman who didn't have a really wonderful background, had kind of a shady background in her past, And remember, she came to Jesus and anointed his feet. Remember? And what did the the religious folks do? They sat around like, oh, well, he's not really a man of God. Because if he knew this woman, he wouldn't allow her to be doing that. And they, they began to judge. And I love what Jesus' response was. And it fits with, hopefully, what I'm talking about here. 
is that she says this. Jesus says, she has done what she could. We We need to quit looking at other people and having them measure up to some standard that God himself has never given to them. When they're doing what they could to the glory of God, we need to celebrate that in one another's life. Do you hear what I, I mean? Is it, am I on by myself here? What do we do? We judge them to some false standard that we can't even keep. So this comparison thing never turns out good. But for our own selves, quit comparing yourselves to somebody and a false measurement. Find and tap into what God has wired you to do. Now, here's real practical. Listen, if God has not wired you to get up early in the morning and to read or read the Bible, pray, because we're just talking about those two things, those aren't their only, then don't do it. You say, you know what, I, I'm just a night owl. Everybody goes to bed, I stay up, you know, 12, 1 o'clock, it's just quiet, you know, and that's when I do my Wonderful. Middle of the day, lunch. Skip, find out, and again, we're just focusing on spiritual habits, okay? That's the reason I'm emphasizing these things. Find out what it is and how God has wired you and do it. Third myth, kind of an odd title, but I'll explain it. I call it the serial recommitter myth. Sometimes we as churches perpetuate this. Let me just kind of start in the back and work my way out here. There are things in our life as we mature in our walk with Christ. I quoted you several times, Hebrews 12.1. One version says, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Paul told Timothy twice in two separate letters. Told him in the first Timothy, in first Timothy, Towards the end, he said, guard, Timothy, what was committed to your trust. Avoid profane and idle babbling. So I would assume that Timothy perhaps was prone to maybe get sucked into arguments and distractions. So Paul says, look, guard what was given to you. Then he tells them in the second letter he wrote, he tells them early on in that opening letter, he says, I want to remind you to stir up the gift of God in you, Timothy, that God has given to you. So it's like Paul, with his son in the faith, is trying to provoke Timothy and stir him up in these things. What's the point? Is that, look, all of us, all of us in this walk are never going to bat, you know, a thousand. We're never going to hit all the cylinders. We're, 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 sometimes we feel like we're making three steps forward and two steps back. But, but the problem is, is we need to keep moving forward. We need to stay focused on what it is that God has called us to do. And so here's, here's how that title fits in. And maybe you grew up in this, in this tradition or maybe where this was prominent, and I'm in no way slamming this. I'm just using it as an example here, is that there will be a high-powered service, and there's a high emotional component going on in the service. And the person who's speaking just really is articulate and is pressing all the buttons And he says, now, if you're really serious about God, I want you to come up to these altars and give your life to Christ or recommit your life to Christ. Now, am I saying that's bad? Of course not. But here's the issue. The power is not in the act of recommitment. Think, if I walk the aisle and I do this, that somehow magic's pixie dust falls over me. Because you know what happens is some of us that had grown up in that tradition... We walk out, and we're no more changed than we walk that aisle. The issue isn't walking aisles. The issue isn't kneeling at altars. That's not the issue, which, by the way, churches didn't do till the mid-1800s, all right? Just FYI. The issue is, is that if I'm just looking and constantly recommitting myself and making these expectations, and I never can, never make the commitment stick when I go out these doors, guess what? I'm going to get discouraged. I'm going to get frustrated. And after at some point, I'm going to say, you know what? This doesn't work. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm quitting. Paul says, 
in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do we? I'm trying to remember. Do I don't think if I have that scripture up there. I probably don't. I didn't have too many this morning. Paul says, look, quit making commitments to do better. Quit making commitments to try harder. Quit making commitments to, you know, to I'm going to get it together. First thing tomorrow morning, Monday morning, man, this is, I'm going I'm to I'm do it. Am I talking to anybody beside myself here? Okay. Paul said, let's don't do that. Let's do this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is saying that our whole lives should be that which worships the Lord. And that he says in verse 1, or he said this is your true and proper worship, but verse 2, Romans 12, 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. He's not saying, you know what, you guys just need to really make that, you just really need to commit. You just really need to make that decision. No, he's saying, look, focus on, first of all, my whole life belongs to the Lord. My whole being, as a, as a offer my bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what somebody said about a Living sacrifice that's put on the altar to God, a living, it wiggles off the altar. That's a joke, people. Wake up. Come on. Hello. Hello. Come on. Come on. Let me try it again. A living sacrifice wiggles off the altar like we do, right? All right? So offer yourselves wholly to God. Focus on knowing and worshiping the Lord with my whole life. Make, if you want to commit, commit your life to Christ and quit fooling around. Quit being, you're talking about churches in Revelation, quit being like that church at Laodicea where they were neither hot nor cold. When you're here, you're going to be sold out for God. Monday, you're not sure whether you want to, how you want to do this thing. Commit your life to Christ. But once I do that, guess what? Once I tap into that, it's amazing how certain things just become orderly in my life. It's amazing how instead of me struggling to try harder, I'm walking in the power of the Lord. Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. If we keep falling over and over and keep on making recommitments, as I said, at some point we're just going to give up. Our problem is, in this, is not the first part, it's the second part where he says, but be renewed by the transforming power of your mind, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind it's up here get your mind wrapped around the purposes of god get your brain intaking godly things that's what we've been talking about is that when i open his word i spend time in prayer guess what i'm not i'm not dieting on the garbage that is being disseminated 24/7 by my television by my radio all that stuff but my intake is in the renewal of my mind. Garbage in, garbage out. One of the fruits of the Spirit is being self-controlled. It's hard to be self-controlled when you're just dieting and your intake and is, is things that are not conforming to the pattern of God's word. And then you have your scripture of the day and you think that's, that's sufficient. It's like having your cracker of the day. I'm just not going to eat, but I'll just have my little cracker. It's, not, it's food. It's food. But it's not sufficient. And so what I'm driving home here, don't just... Make the cycle of recommitting. But get your mind wrapped around the transforming power of the Lord. That once your mind is renewed, he'll give you the power and wisdom. And then the promise, he says, Romans 12, 2, is then you will know. Then you will know his perfect will.
fourth myth. I call it the cruise control myth. At what point am I going to hit this Christian life? I'm going to punch cruise control, put on my music, and just relax. I got this four-hour drive. I'm going to hit cruise control, and I'm just going to Now, driverless cars. Think about that. That's not new. I've been in Lakeland three years, and I see them all the time on 98. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too old. There is no way I'm going to relax in a driverless car. Sometimes my wife accuses me of being being that person, a driver. No. We're never going to hit that. Where we just think, okay, now, when is it just all just make it easy? No more suffering. No more God pressing me and, and the enemy leaving me alone. When is that going to happen? When you die. Until then, we say what Paul said. I think I have that scripture up there. Philippians. Book of Philippines. The Philippians. Remember we read this the first week. Paul said, and this is from the New Living Translation. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. He's not claiming perfection. Okay. Or that I have already reached perfection. But he says, I do what? I press on to possess, I press on. That perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He's perfect. I'm, I want to press on into his perfection. He said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Okay, he's told us three times, I've not arrived. Quit comparing yourself to me. Was it the church at Corinth that said, we want to be like Apollos, some like Paul? You remember, he, he got onto them by that comparison game. He said, brothers and sisters, not that I've already achieved it, but I, what? Focus on this one thing. If you hear anything, start focusing on one thing, and that's knowing Christ. Focus on knowing Him. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Here it is again. This is not cruise control Christianity. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race. I love 2 Timothy because that, according to our uh, Bibles, that is the last letter that we have that is attributed to Paul before he died. He's in a stinking jail cell when he writes that second letter to his son in the faith. And as you read the end, as you read the end, you know what he's saying? One thing in there, he says, Timothy, tell somebody to bring my cloak, my coat. And then he says, bring the parchments. We would say, bring my books. Paul, hey man, you've had some neat revelations. You've had had an encounter with Jesus. Don't you think you just need to kind of just cruise into eternity? He says, bring me my books. Bring me. Paul is pressing on till the day he draws that last breath. Should we not have that same determination to press on until we draw that last breath? Because until that day comes, there still is a fight. There still is a battle. There still is a choice that we need to make every day. So I draw great comfort from the Apostle Paul. We are created into Christ, unto Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. The first things that I said in the first study we did on that first Sunday when we began this series, we made, I made this statement. God's work of grace does not make our work unnecessary. It makes it possible because of what God has done. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15.10, I read it that first week, I'll read it again. Paul said, but by the grace of God, everybody say grace of God. Grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, these are words of Paul. 
This is not cruise control gospel. He said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. John Piper, quote I read that first week, grace does not just pardon our failures, it empowers our successes. And part of that successes that we need empowerment is being is is growing and successfully successfully enjoying Jesus more than all the other stuff around us. You see, the issue with my life isn't culture. It's the default that I I believe I can somehow derive more pleasure and joy in everything else except in Him. All that we've driven home is to say, I need more of the joy of knowing him. And that when I have the joy of knowing him, there is a satisfaction. And when I'm satisfied in him, the things of this earth grow strangely dim. Because I'm satisfied in Christ. And so the grace-empowered Spiritual habits, disciplines, they are the means, they are the path that God has made, that God has created for us to routinely and consistently drink from the fountain of life. These habits, and I said this this first week, these habits, hear me, these habits do not, do not earn the enjoyment of Jesus. You got to hear that. They do not earn God to be more gracious to you. But they are the means that God has designed that we daily feed on the joy of Him. Our Father who art in heaven, Holy is your name. Give us this day my daily bread that I may partake of the satisfaction of you and you alone. You know why people commit adultery? Because they think that they they can gain satisfaction in another relationship instead of the one that God has put in their life. We commit spiritual adultery when we seek all those things. That was Israel's issue. That's everybody's issue because of sin. It's always more attractive than the one who bought us, redeemed us, has promised to come beside us. So however you work this out, however we grow in this, do not lose your first love. Keep it on Jesus.